thank you, God, for tonight. Lord, thank you for the time of worship that we've had. God, and the fact that you hold our hands through the fire. Uh, Lord, what a great and glorious thing that is to sing about. But God, what a great and glorious thing it is to experience firsthand. I can say wholeheartedly, Lord, that there have been many times when you have held my hand through the fire. God, you've been right there with me, and I praise your name for that. Lord, if there's somebody right now that may be going through a difficult time in their life, God, maybe there's, there's trials, difficulties, trouble, maybe it's family, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's, it's just something they're struggling with personally. God, whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would just remind them of your great and glorious love tonight. The fact that you are there with them, that, that you have not left them, that you are right there, God, within arm's reach. I know that sometimes we have to to reach a very low place, God, to, to realize our dependence on you. And God, I, I thank you for those times that I've been in that low place and I, I could go nowhere else but to you. And Lord, I thank you for reminding me that you're always there. Uh, God, what a great testament that is to your love. And I thank you for it. God, be glorified now in this time as we look at your word and what you have to say to us. God, awaken our hearts and our, open our minds and our eyes, God, to the, the truth of your word right now so that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so we've been in the book of Isaiah lately. Um, you can know that because it's up on the screen right there, right? Uh, so we're continuing in our study of Isaiah. We talked about the fact the last two weeks, we talked about uh, Isaiah's call and when he saw God, when he saw the Lord and he saw him in the temple and the, the train of his robe filled the temple and and Isaiah was said he was a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. And, and he was just, he was ruined is what we said. And then God kind of sealed his lips with a coal from the altar. And, and, and all these kind of wonderful things happened. And all, all, all of a sudden Isaiah is like, if you need a messenger, I'm here, God. Send me. Send me to go and tell your people. And then we said last week, we said that, that Isaiah was like, Asking God this question about how long must I go? How long must I continue to share this message? How long must I continue to be your messenger? And, and the answer to that question was very plain. It was like, well, until I come again and set everything right and destroy all that's not right right now and set everything right until I return. And, and we talked about how that's a long time, right? <laughs> that's either to the end of our life or, or until, until Jesus returns, one or the other. It's probably going to be a while, and we must continue on for the cause of Christ, continue to share this good message. And the good message is that God loves us, right? That is truly the, 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 the message, is that God loves us. If we want to boil down the gospel, if we want to boil down uh, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, what is the picture uh, of, of this book that we hold in our hands? It is God's love for us. And tonight we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 43, and we're going to see God, or we're going to talk, see Isaiah talking about God's love for us. And, and, and he's going to talk about specifically the people of Israel, okay? Now everybody's like, well, we're not Jewish, we're not the people of Israel, but I want you to understand something. By extension, of Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you are in the same kingdom. You are, as they refer to, you, you are the Israelites, if you will. And you say, well, how can you say that, Kenny? I, I, I'll tell you why. Because in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, we're going to put it up on the screen and you can look at it here. Beginning of verse 26, this is what it says. 
For you are all children of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism and have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, and you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. You see, all the things that were promised to Israel through Father Abraham are now promised to you because you are in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. You are in his chosen people, okay? Israel was, was God's chosen people. And God chose to, to pour out his blessings on them, to protect them, to keep them. As long as they would, they would be uh, his people, he would be their God. And, and he kept that covenant with Abraham. And through Israel, he was able to create a, 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 his own son, Jesus Christ. Through that bloodline of Israel, he was able to have his son, Jesus Christ, come and die for us. And if we have faith in Jesus Christ, then by extension, we are those chosen people that is described in the book of Isaiah. So I, I needed you to make that connection. I need you to understand that, that we are those people. We are the sons of Abraham, as described here in this passage in Galatians. It's very important that you understand that as you read the Old Testament, you look at God's pouring out on the people of Israel. Because you need to understand that in a, in a lot of ways, that's talking about us. So we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 43 tonight, beginning in verse 1. So you can go ahead and flip there in your Bible. I will have to admit up front that this message tonight, the word that we're looking at, it is kind of heavy. All right? It's kind of deep. I know here at Simple Church, we try to simplify thing, things in such a way that everybody can grasp them and, and wrap their minds around them. Let me tell you something. There is some things in the Bible that admittedly it's hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard to completely grasp what is going on. Now, I posted something on Instagram the other day, and it was it is out of Luke, and it was when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, 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 and he's praying, and, and blood's just pouring out of his pores because he's in such agony over about what's about to happen to him when he's about to go to the cross, and he's praying. And, and in the midst of his prayer, he's like, he's like, God, if you can take this cup of suffering away from me, if there's any way that this can be done without me have to, having to endure the cross like I'm about to have to endure, would you do that? And, and then he says in the very next breath, he says, but not my will be done, but thy will be done. God, whatever you have, I'm willing to accept it. And then it says, then God sent an angel to comfort him and strengthen him. Now, I can't wrap my mind around all this going on in, in like those three verses. The fact that, that, that Jesus is, is God and he, he, he knows what's about to happen to him because he can see things past, present, and future. He knows the heart of man. He knows what's about to happen. And yet he's struggling with the flesh and the fact that he doesn't want to endure the cross and, and the fact that he's talking to his father who sent him for the sole purpose of enduring the cross. And at the same time, Jesus says, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And I'm like, Jesus is God. God's Jesus. And who's he praying to? And, and, and God's sending an angel to comfort his son who is him. And like, I can't wrap my mind around all of that. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's a lot. Well, admittedly, there's things in Scripture that are kind of heavy and kind of deep, and this happens to be one of those passages that's like, 
Wow, you know what I mean? So, so bear with me. Try to stick with me as best you can. Try to hang in there. I can't promise that you'll understand everything in here because I don't necessarily understand everything in here. But it's good and it's rich and it's deep. And like, I just, it, it, it's amazing the things that God connects in Scripture that, that maybe when we first take a look at it, we don't really see. That, that's, what, that's what amazes me. When I study scripture and I get ready to prepare a sermon and all that, and I start looking at stuff, and then I start thinking, well, this connects to that, and that connects to this, and it's like this big circle, it's like chain, it's like one of those, those, those paper chains that the kids put together, man. You start looping it together, and it's connected back together. You're like, I didn't see all that. I didn't know it was so connected. I didn't know that God had this thing rigged on this level. You know what I mean? Like, he's got it. It's all fitting together like a big puzzle. And I, I, every time I read Scripture and study Scripture and, and look at Scripture, it's like he's putting more and more pieces to the puzzle together. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm sorry I'm so excited. Everybody's looking at me like, man, Kenny's about to have an aneurysm up there. Calm down, son. Um, it's good. Let me just say, <laughs> it's good, all right? Just enjoy it. Hopefully you'll get it. If I can get it out, I'll do my best. Okay, all right, let's start. Um, what's going on here? Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now, okay, good. Like, Jesus, <laughs> we always talk about Jesus and, and the, the but thing, right? We always talk about that there was like, there's sin, but there's Jesus. There's condemnation, but there's Jesus. There's like, you were this way, but now you're this way. You had this name, but now you got this name. You're a different person. You're a new creation. There's always something that happens every time you see this word, but. And here we got, but now, but now. Okay, what's going on? Well, Connie, I appreciate you putting up that verse, but we got to go back to chapter 42 and look at the verses before this. I think it's starting in like verse 24, 25, something, 23. There we go. Who will hear these lessons from uh, past land? From the past land, see the ruin that awaits you in the future. Who allowed Israel to be robbed and hurt? It was the Lord against whom we sinned. For the people would not walk in his path, nor would they obey his law. Therefore, he poured out his fury on them and destroyed them in, the bat in battle. They were enveloped in flames, but they still refused to understand. They were consumed by fire. But they did not learn their lesson. So what is happening? Oh, this is what people do all day, every day. The people of Israel, get this. Like, see if you've ever experienced this before. So they had their own idols and stuff that they were in awe of, and, and, and they were not of God. So they were worshiping other stuff because it was sensational, and they liked it, and, and it, was, it, it was a cool show and all that. But you know what? God did not have a place of prominence in their life. God was just, they went to church on Sunday because that was what was cool to do in their culture. Whew, thank goodness we don't deal with that anymore, right? We don't do that anymore. We don't got this other stuff that, that's really cool to watch and experience, and then we come on Sunday just because we're supposed to be there. Or maybe we, we stay at that place and, and camp out overnight because we've been tailgating there on Saturday, and then we don't come to church on Sunday. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so, uh, so these people... What they were doing is they had their idols that they worshipped, okay? But they, they still did the other stuff. They still fasted. They still prayed. They, they still gave their tithes. They still went to the temple. They still heard the word of God. But you know what the problem was? Is God did not have a place of prominence in their life. 
God was just another, another piece of their life. He wasn't their whole life. And we've been seeing this happen in simple church, okay? Adults and, and, and kids and old people, young people, people are realizing that, that God was just something in my life. He wasn't my whole life. And, and what they, they thought they understood about the gospel was that they, they just needed Jesus to be the, the cherry on top of their life, that, that, that they had everything worked out, and, they got, and, and what they needed at one point in, in the past was they just needed something else to add on top. And what they came to realize when we start talking about what the Word of God really says and the place that God really is supposed to have in your life, that he's supposed to be everything, that you're really supposed to give a blank check with your life and say, God, whatever you would have me to do, that is what I'm going to do. It's not just about Jesus on Sunday. It's about Jesus every other day. You know what my goal here in Simple Church is? I mean, really. So it's reach, teach, and serve, right? You know, we'd say that's like the three cornerstones, the three pillars, the three tenets of simple church, reach and teach and serve, right? My desire, my prayer is that that would not just happen one day a week. That it would not be just one day a week. It's not just a Sunday thing or it's not just a Wednesday thing. It's not just a Wednesday and a Sunday thing. It's not just a Wednesday and a Sunday and a Christmas Day thing. It's an all day, every day, every time you go to work, every time you go to school. It's about Jesus, thy will be done, not my will be done. That's because you understand who God is, right? We talked about his glory and his majesty and all that stuff on Sunday. We talked about how he shows himself in heaven in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. That God that is on that level of that glory cannot just have a place in your life. When he comes in, he is your whole life. Do you understand that? And, and, and what happened to these people in Israel is he was just a part. He wasn't the whole thing. And because of that, God says, I have got to show you that you have got to depend on me for everything. I have got to show you that you need me to sustain you, that you need me in order for you to go on breathing, for you to go on living. You need to understand that, 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 that I am everything. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to show you that. That's a good God. Everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So he brought them into battle. He took them into exile. That's what's happening here. You see, Isaiah is talking about the fact that God is going to take them into exile. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, northern kingdom taken by Assyria, southern kingdom, which is the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, take, taken into to captivity by the Babylonians. And he says, they're coming, and they're going to take you. You know why? Because God does not have a place of prominence in your life. And God has got to show you that, that you need him more than you need anything else. Let me tell you something about my own life. The greatest privilege I have as a human being is the fact that God took me to the absolute rock bottom of my life so he could show me that I needed him more than I needed anything else. That is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me in my life. It is the most painful, it is the most devastating thing that has ever happened in my life, but it is absolutely the greatest thing because God has shown me that I need him more than I need anything else. And it washed away my pride, it took away me caring about what people think. I don't give a rip about that, I care about what God thinks. And it is the greatest thing that happened in my life. And I thank him every single day that he took me into battle. That he took me into battle. This is all about exile. 
It's all about them being taken away. And Isaiah's going to remind them, he loves you. He loves you. And that's what chapter 43 starts talking about. It says, but now. It says, you were here, but now. I want to remind you of something. Taken into exile, taken into captivity, taken to a place you don't want to go, taken into a place where you are at the brink of, of losing your minds with, with no place to go. I want to remind you of God's love for you. If that's where you are in your life right now, I want you to hear this and hear it good. God loves you. God loves you. God will even take you to a place you don't want to go to show you how much he loves you. To wash you clean, to get rid of all that other junk, to purify you so that he can show you how much you need him and the fact that he is there for you. Oh, how, what a beautiful thing this is in Isaiah 43. I, I, I can't get over it. But now, oh Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. He said, don't forget who created you. I am your creator. I created you in my own image. That we are created in God's image, we know that, right? But sin comes in and it, it, it corrupts us and it, it, it almost overshadows the original creation that, that, that God made us in. It, it covers that up a little bit, but we are still created in God's image. And it, remember, he's, he's, he says, oh, Jacob, listen to what he says. Oh, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. Oh, Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you and I've called you by your name. You are mine. You are mine. I, I have called you by your name. God renamed Jacob Israel. He gave him a new name. He called them. You understand that, that God knows you intimately, personally, on a one-on-one -on -one level. Can you, can you grasp that for just a second? The fact that the God that, that created everything, that, that can knit atoms together, A-T-O-M-S, not A-D-A-M-S, knit atoms together, is the same God that created you, that, that created every single grain of sand on the beach. That's the, sink, that's the same God who knows you intimately and knows you by name. That very same God that created you, that knit you together in your mother's womb, he called you by name. He knows you so intimately. He knows you by name. And, and he even, I believe, that, I believe this is an indication. You know, you, you see this a lot in, in Scripture. You see that God gives people a new name. Like when they have an encounter with God, it's like, it's like God gives them a brand new name. You, you know, uh, uh, that, 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 uh, Peter's original name was Simon. And God, re, uh, Jesus renamed him. He said, you're going to be called Peter now. And over and over again, you see God giving people new names. And I believe this is... This is an indication that you know who has the authority to give a name? The one who creates them, the parents, right? So if you have a child, you name the child. The creator, the one, the one who makes them, that's the one that has the ability, the authority to give them a name. And God said, I created you, I'm going to give you a name. And he gave Jacob a new name and he called him Israel. He says, I'm the one who created you, don't forget that. So much so that I even gave you your name. He says, don't be afraid. I have ransomed you. We're going to talk about this ransom in just a second. I have ransomed you. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. What's, what's, what's Isaiah talking about here? 
Do you remember when, when Moses crossed over the Red Sea? And, and, and what was happening is, is the Egyptian army was chasing after them at this point in time. See, see God's people had been, been taken into captivity by the Egyptians. This, this, was, this was an exodus, right? You remember, you remember we call this the exodus when the, the Israelites come out of, out of Egypt and they go back to their homeland. And, and, and what has happened is that the, the God has caused these plagues to happen and we, we see this over and over again, uh, the, all these plagues that happen, these ten plagues that happen on the Egyptians, and, and, and God is constantly pouring out this wrath on the Egyptians while he's protecting the Israelites. You remember all the, the, different, the different things, the plague of the locusts and the frogs and, and, and the, the, reds, uh, or the, 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 the waters turn into blood and, and all this kind of stuff, and like it was just like, all these things were happening against the Egyptians while God was protecting the Israelites. And he said, do you remember when we crossed over? Do you remember when it looked like our backs were against the wall and there was no place to go? And it looks like the Egyptian army was crashing down on top of us and we were going to be consumed and we were going to be, we were going to be destroyed. And what did God do? God told Moses, he said, go over to the edge of the water. And he says, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to part the seas. And, you, and the people are going to cross a, on dry land. And I'm going to be there for them. He says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Now, now there's this sense that, that God, because he's everywhere, he's omnipresent, right? That's what we call he's, God's everywhere, right? That there's a sense, well, God's everywhere. Why, why does it say, God, I will be with you? It's a more intimate understanding of God's chosen people that God is right there with them, right there in their midst, holding their hands as they cross over in, on dry land to the other side. He's trying to remind them, man, look, look at where I've taken you from. Look, you look like you were going to be destroyed, and, and I just walked you across on dry land. The Egyptian army, they, they were waiting there because there was a fog that had separated us from them and, and, and they didn't know what was going on. And, and we snuck across on dry land. And when the fog lifted, they decided to chase after us and go after us through the same dry land. But what did God do? He closed the waters back on the Egyptians. He says, when you go through deep waters, what about in your life? What about in your life? You ever been through deep waters? You ever had your back against the wall and you think there's no way out? This is the end of Ken Bob, right? Like there's no way I'm going to be able to make it to the next step in my life. This will be, be the end. This is where I'm done. Uh, there's no more money. The bank account's empty. The bills are still coming. Uh, the, the, the relationship that I thought was going to last forever and it was going to just continue on forever, that's come to an end. And, and now I don't know where to go. I don't think that there's anything else left good that's going to happen in my life. I guess I'm done. I guess I'm finished. And it looks like deep waters and it looks like you're drowning, right? You know what God says in the midst of all that? I'm with you. I'm with not in a general sense like he's everywhere. He is with you specifically. He says, when you're going through the deep waters, I will be with you. They didn't deserve it. We just read back in Isaiah chapter 42 that they had all their, their false idols and they had uh, all the other things and God didn't have a, prom a place of prominence in their life. He was still with them and yet they had rebelled against God. You know what this is called? 
You know what this is called? It's called grace. If you think you deserve for God to be with you, you're wrong. If you think that you have earned it in some way, you're completely wrong. What has happened is God has poured his grace out on you, even though you're just as filthy and just as nasty as the Egyptians that, that, were, that had the Israelites in captivity. You're just like them. But because of his grace and because of his mercy, he's with you. He's with you. All right, Connie, let's go on. I could spend an hour and a half on that verse alone. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. Anybody ever heard of, of, of some guys, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Asheriah, that were going to be burned up? Anybody ever heard of those guys? You may know them by, by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ever heard of those guys going into the fiery furnace? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That, that's their Jewish, that's their given names. But what has happened is Nebuchadnezzar, he's an evil Babylonian king. This hasn't happened yet in Isaiah's day, by the way. This is going to happen when they're taken into Babylonian captivity. The Israelites are taken into Babylonian captivity. captivity. Nebuchadnezzar sets up this, this idol that they're supposed to worship. And these three guys, these three Israelites said, we're not going to do it. And he says, that's fine. I'll just consume you. I'll just burn you up and put you in, in the furnace and you'll be consumed by fire and that'll be fine. You don't have to worship the idol that I set up. And here's what they say. They say this. They say, our God will protect us through the flames. Our God will protect us through the flames. That's what Isaiah said. But listen, listen to what they even go on to say. They even go on to say this. This is where faith comes in, okay? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to say it on this level. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say this to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, our God will protect us from the, from the flames. He said, but even if he does not, we will not worship the idol that you have set up. Now that's faith. That's faith saying it doesn't matter if, if God protects us through the flames I will still be faithful to my God because that's how much he means to me. That's how much he means to me. And, and, and here Isaiah he, is pointing towards the future. He's pointing towards the past with, with Moses and the Israelites crossing over the Red Sea. And now he's pointing towards the, the future with the three Israelites that will be thrown into a fiery furnace. And we know that they, that, that they were in there and they came up and they looked. And they, I mean, they're, they're like the guards that were throwing them in were even consumed by the flame so much so that they died. And the three Israelites, got, the three Israelites were not consumed by the flames. They came out they didn't even smell like smoke. When they looked in there and they saw, there's not just three of them, there's four in there. <laughs> Jesus, I will be with you. When you go into the flames, I will be with you. When you go into the trials of your life, the difficulties in your life, God will be with you. Not in a general sense, but in a specific sense. Right there, in the midst of the flames, in the midst of the fire, he will be with you. And the Israelites needed to be reminded of this just like you need to be reminded of it every single day of your life. He says, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I... And the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and, and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. All right. Immedi admittedly, this is where it gets heavy. Okay? Just straight up honest with you. This is where it gets difficult. You may not like the way this sounds. You may not like the way this falls on your ears. But this is what the word of God says. Could God have delivered the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt without the Egyptians having been, ha having endured the trials and the difficulties that they endured and even the death of the firstborn, the death of Pharaoh's son, could God have done all of that without the Egyptians having to die? Could, could he have done that so that maybe just one day they all just kind of forgot that the Israelites were, were even there and the Israelites disappeared and, and they never knew the difference. Could God have done that? Could God have given the Egyptians amnesia so they didn't even know that the, the, the Israelites were ever there? God could have done that. God's all-powerful. He could have done anything he wanted to. But I, I want you to see this, though. I, I, I want you to understand that, that as God spared the Israelites and the wrath was poured out on the Egyptians, that that was like the ransom that was paid, that there was such a, a vast contrast between the wrath that the Egyptians endured versus the, the, the saving grace of God that was poured out on the Israelites. I want you to understand that, that because there's this vast contrast between, between seeing the wrath of God and what it is capable of and seeing the grace and mercy that was poured out on the Israelites, it makes the grace and mercy look that much more beautiful when you see the devastation that can truly come. Do you, do you get that? This is what God could have done, but this is what the Israelites were saved from. Think about this in the context of Jesus on the cross. Think, think about that. Think about this is what we deserve. If God's wrath hadn't been poured out on Jesus so that we could see his flesh ripped off his bones and his muscles torn open and his innards hanging out, if we hadn't seen that, then we wouldn't understand how much grace in God God has bestowed upon us because we didn't have to endure that. Because Jesus took such, such brutality on his body, it makes the grace that we receive look that much more beautiful. Am I right? And, and when you look... When you look at the contrast of heaven and spending eternity with God in the presence of God, worshiping God for all of eternity, you got to compare that something to something, don't you? What is that something? What about hell? What about hell and the place of destruction and the place of torment? It makes heaven look that much more beautiful, Right? I think that's the picture God's painting for us through the words of Isaiah right here. He said, you were ransomed. You were ransomed. Other people died, and that's what you could have endured. But what did I do instead? I saved you. I redeemed you because I am your God and I am your Savior. That's the picture of love. That's what makes love more beautiful is the destruction that we deserved. Because you know what? We deserved every bit of what the Egyptians got. We deserved every bit of the destruction that they got. We deserved every bit of the destruction that came on Jesus' body. That's what we deserved. We deserved the cross. 
We deserve hell. We deserve to be tormented forever and ever and ever because of our rebellion against God. The fact that we don't love God. We love sin. We love the darkness. We love the things that, that are of the flesh. We don't love God. We deserve all those things. But because of this word grace, because it's the ultimate picture of God's love, God is has compared that and contrasted that against his love and his grace and his mercy to say, you know what? I'm going to pour all that out on my son Jesus Christ. And you're going to get to be with me. Jesus will be a ransom for many. Jesus will be that ransom for many. And this is straight gospel. That's what that is. It is straight gospel. You are honored and I love you. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When you're in deep waters, when you're in the fire... Don't be afraid. Why? For I am with you. Look what he says. He says, you're my people. And I'm going to bring you to me. He says, I will gather you and your children from the east and the west. I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. He says, you are going to come back. There's going to be another exodus out of exile from the Babylonians and the Assyrians. You're going to come back. You're going to come back to where I called you to because you're my people and I'm going to bring you back. Exodus, just like Moses and when the Israelites came out of Egypt. I have to show you this in the New Testament in Luke chapter 9. I have to, you remember I was talking about on Sunday how John was there when Jesus kind of removed the veil and he was transfigured and he was in the presence of Moses and Elijah. Remember when I told you that? Look at the wording. Look at the wording in Luke chapter 9, beginning of verse 30. Look at what it says. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. So Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He starts carrying on a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And look what they're talking about. Look what they're talking. Look at the wording here. Look what it says. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about the exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Exodus. Now, why in the world would they choose to use that word exodus right there at that point in time? Because Jesus, God was about to call his people to him through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was going to be that ransom for many, and he, there was going to be an exodus from the way they were and the sin that they were in and the place they were doomed for. There was going to be an exodus from that, and God was going to call them back to him, to their home place, ultimately to a place called heaven, if they have faith and trust in this man, Jesus Christ, who would hang on the cross for all them. Straight gospel. Straight gospel. He says, I will call them from the north and the south and the east and the west. And I will call them all back. In the New Testament, we see this other exodus. And it is Jesus and it is God's calling his people back. Let's finish up with Isaiah 43. Bring all who claim me as their God. For I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. How in the world, how in the world could these people who rebel against God, who worship other idols, who, who don't give God a place of prominence in their life, 
How in the world could they bring God glory? How in the world can that happen? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Because of this word called grace, because of that love that they didn't deserve, that's how he gets glory. People believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and believing and trusting that God is their Savior, God gets glory from that. You want to know the ultimate way to give God glory? You give him your life. You give him every single thing that you have. You give him all of your worry. You give him all of your insecurities. You you give him all the guilt that you feel. You give that all to him. And let him pour out this amazing thing called grace on your life. And that will glorify God. And then you know what else you can do to give him glory? Is all you got to do is tell other people about the grace that God has bestowed upon you. And tell them this good news. The fact that God loves you. And God has shown you over and over and over again. How even though you didn't deserve it, God continued to love you. He continued to walk with you. Even when you're in deep waters. Even when you're in the midst of the fire. God gets glory from that. How can I give God glory? How can I glorify God with my life? Let's start with those two things. Let's start with those two things. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for this amazing thing called grace. Lord, sometimes the difficulties of this world, the trials of this world, the deep waters, the fire... God, sometimes it veils the love that you have for us. God, I thank you for the fact that Jesus was a ransom for many. That, God, you called everyone back to you through your son, Jesus Christ. And, God, you poured out on him what I deserved. Because you love me. Because you love me. I'll never get over that, Father. That grace is amazing. I didn't deserve it. I rebelled against you in my worst of my worst of my worst. When I was a yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And I, I just, I can't wrap my mind around it. Lord, there are people here, Lord, that need to hear the fact that you love them. God, if there was no greater evidence than through your son, Jesus Christ. God, if they, if they can't grasp that, then they'll never get it. Father, help them to first understand the the wrath that was poured out on Jesus Christ and the destruction and the devastation that we all deserved. God, so they can see just how amazing this grace is that you've given us. I praise your name for the words of Isaiah. It reminds us of your love. It reminds us of the fact that we are your people. And God, you've called us to a royal priesthood. There's no longer a Greek or Jew, man or woman. There's no longer any, any regard to race. God, we're either in your kingdom or we're not. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for reminding us of this amazing grace through your precious word. God, comfort people's hearts, draw them to you. Maybe there's a situation in their life, God, where they need an exodus, where they need to just be drawn to you and drawn out of that situation. God, remind them. God, remind them that you are with them, that you are right there holding their hands in the midst of it all. God, we love you. God, this time belongs to you where we can just be close to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Would everyone please stand?